Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. It's the 4th of July, Independence Day in America, the day when they celebrated the parting of the ways from us. There have been a lot of parting of the ways in recent weeks in famous friendships. Boris and Dominic, Boris perhaps, and Matt, all alleged, of course, we don't really know the truth, but a lot of public rancor. And so this is the second show where we're talking about walking together in friendship. Have you ever wondered why TV programmes like Cheers and Coronation Street and Neighbours are so popular? Surely they celebrate the ordinary life lived in relationship. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, what is life if we have not life together? Friendship is the stuff of life. It's not an optional extra. That's why we're returning again to the theme of friendship this week. Here's Natalie Bergman. A friend in need. It was a dark day in every sense. The hospital staff had thoughtfully dimmed the lights of the small private ward where my father lay dying. The fluorescent glare was banished, replaced by a softer, warmer lamp, a light to die in. I had rushed into the hospital, summoned by the stark words that said so much, you'd better come right away. My mother sat by his side, dabbing her eyes, holding his hand, whispering reassurances. This was the scene that I'd imagined for months during long nights where sleep eluded me. It was not my father's death that I feared. I knew that he had made his peace with God. After years of silent anger against heaven, the result of a lost youth spent in Italian and German prisoner of war camps, and the sights and sounds that had been his daily existence through those long years, he had come to terms with the news that there was a God who cared for him. During a long, hot summer in America, Dad had finally invited Jesus to take charge of his life. That evening, he came with me on a preaching engagement in Central Oregon. I remember the joy of pointing up into the balcony and announcing to the congregation, that's my dad. He became a Christian today. They clapped and cheered and stamped their feet, and he stood up and waved like a member of the royal family. It was a happy day. And then the stroke had hijacked his brain and robbed him of the ability to speak. He'd become a silent prisoner of his own body, fully coherent and intelligent, but sentenced to the moment-by-moment -moment frustration of being utterly unable to communicate except by grunts and hand signals. It was a cruel fate for a man whose favourite thing in life was conversation, but like the prison sentence of his youth, he bore the solitary confinement with brave dignity. Dad was in a morphine-induced coma, and I knew the moment that I saw him that it would not be long. The nurses, so pressurised and busy, were so consistently caring and kind, they did their best to make him comfortable. My mother went out for a well-earned few minutes of fresh air, and I sat quietly with my father's hand in mine. And then I remembered one very special evening a couple of years earlier. Something remarkable happened when I was staying at my parents' for the night. I was tucked up in bed, it was past eleven, when there was a knock at the bedroom door. The incomprehensible murmuring outside the door told me that it was Dad. Even though the stroke robbed him of his speech, he never stopped trying. I invited him to come on in, but wondered, what could he possibly want? It was late in the evening, and we couldn't have any kind of conversation, so what was bringing him into my room now? I will never forget the moment when Dad came to the side of my bed, 
knelt down and then slowly and carefully took the blankets and the sheets and tucked me in, just like he had when I was tiny. He brushed the stray hair from my forehead and kissed me on the cheek and was gone. He couldn't speak, but he dramatically expressed his loving care for me that night. I remember lying there for a long time, a man with almost grown children of my own, feeling warm, safe and loved. And now, conscious that my dad was struggling just hours from death, I felt that it was time to return the favour. I will never know if he understood, but I whispered in his ear, Dad, it's Jeff. I love you so much. Soon you're going to be with Jesus, Dad. It may feel bad right now, but you're safe, and I'm going to tuck you in. I took the hospital blanket and the crisp white sheet and tucked it into the underside of the mattress. I hope Dad knew. A couple of hours later, it was time for him to leave. My dad was always a joker. He loved to laugh and kept us guessing in death as well. The nurse, searching for a pulse, could find none. He's gone, she declared, solemnly but warmly. No, he's not. He's back. Now he's gone. No, he's back. She waited a few seconds, unwilling to take us on the emotional roller coaster any longer. Finally, she spoke again. Yes. He has gone now. And this time he had. Mum and I just burst into tears and I leaned over to kiss my dad's still warm forehead. The telephone at his bedside rang. Who could it be? The nurse answered the phone and announced that it was someone wanting to speak to me. A Dr Chris Edwardson from America was on the line. Chris and Jeannie Edwardson are our closest friends. Our families have holidayed together for years. Chris is my closest confidant. I took the phone. Jeff, he said, it's, it's Chris. Look, I'm in Canada and I'm driving right now, but the Lord spoke to me and told me that I should track you down because you needed me to call right now. What's going on? I told Chris that Dad had died less than 30 seconds earlier and that I was right beside him now. That's why the Lord asked me to call you, Jeff. I'm your friend and I love you. Your dad is with Jesus now. I'm praying for you and Jeannie and I will be with you in the next few days, we'll hop on a plane. I put the phone down and I marvelled. There was I at one of the most poignant moments of my life. Many times I had quizzed Chris about my dad's likely death with the challenge of the emphysema. And now, as a gift of grace from God, he had called from the other side of the world at the precise moment that I needed him. I had tucked my dad in, and now a similar warmth and security came as I realised the incredible blessing of genuine friendship. The reason Kings and Kingdoms. This is the second show about friendship. Bogner. Bogner Regis. I know, despite its regal title, it's never going to make the top exotic locations in the world list. Anybody who are residents who love the place, please don't be offended, but here's the truth. Glorious white sand is in rather short supply in Bogner, the beach can be a mass of unyielding pebbles, making barefoot bathers wince as they pick their way across to the water's edge. And there's a broken pier shattered by a series of devastating storms and fires. Once the home of a fabulous 1,400-seat theatre, the pier is now a sad, short iron stump jutting out into the grey sea with only a tired amusement arcade flashing neon lights intermittently. There's a smell of damp and seaweed heavy in the air. But for all of this, Bogner holds a special place in my heart. 
It was in Bognor Regis that my brand new bride and I went to church the Sunday morning after our Saturday wedding. Discovering that we were newlyweds, the minister asked me to give a word of testimony about my most recent blessings. This being the morning after our wedding night, I blushed crimson red. Awkward. As a young lad, I spent some marvellous summers messing around on Bognor's Beach. My grandparents lived just a few miles from the coast, and I would regularly stay with them in the summer holidays. I would board the bus near my grandparents' house. Those were the days when a 12-year-old was allowed to travel alone on a bus, and I'd made my way to Bognor Seafront to visit my friend Ian, who lived very close to the promenade. I was always given a warm welcome by his family, even though I'd not seen my friend for a whole year. We spent long, wonderful days, tanned deep brown by the salty sun. At the end of the afternoon, our tired limbs would be restored by delicious suppers served by Ian's mum. For a London boy, those days by the seaside were heavenly, until it happened. It was the beginning of another long, lazy summer. Excited and eager to begin a few weeks of fun, I leapt off the bus and ran towards the street where Ian lived. I turned the corner and my dream summer turned to winter in a second. Ian's house had disappeared, vanished into thin air, gone. How could this be? Who would steal a house? Actually, the entire street had been swept away, all houses demolished to make room for a new car park. As for Ian and his family, I had no idea where they'd gone, no way to make contact. That was it. I never saw him again. Fifty years or so later, I still think about Ian and my soul sinks. I would love to know what happened to him, how his life turned out, how delightful it would be to meet up to remember those carefree days we shared. This led me to think about other friendships that I've enjoyed through the years and to lament the fact that some friendships, which I thought would stay strong, are no more. Some close ties came undone due to conflict and misunderstanding. Other times the flame of friendship faded because our bond couldn't stretch across the geographical distance between us. Or a role or function catalyzed friendship and when that season of working together ended, the friendships made in that shared space sadly faded too. Sometimes there's a sudden ending. Jesus knew that pain of disappearing friendships. Mark's gospel gives a stark indictment about his band of brothers. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Mark 14, verse 50. They vanished into thin air, gone. I've had a few of those friendships, and I'm sure that I've been a less than perfect friend. Sometimes when crises hit others, I was not there for them. Other times I spoke words that I now regret and wish I could take back. As a friend, mine is far from a perfect record. Friends make us better. We drink deep from joy's well when laughter is shared. A fabulous experience is so much better when we can turn to a friend and say, isn't this great? But this much is true. Friends tell us what we don't know, and if their friendship is deep, they'll tell us what we really don't want to know, when those planks appear in our eyes. Friends shape us even when they sometimes disappoint us, because there's no perfect fit in friendship, and to think otherwise is naive. Friendship comforts, but also confronts our selfishness too. And friendship calls us to faithfulness, to hang in there and stick close whether we feel like it or not. 
We need to love our friends for who they are and not spend our days wishing that they'd be different. So perhaps today, phone or email a friend because a true friend is a treasure and loneliness is literally punishing. Ironically, it took social distancing to teach us the value of togetherness. And speaking of phone calls, there's one I'd especially welcome. Ian, if by some tiny chance you're listening in, do me a huge favour. Give me a call. Wren Collective, my lighthouse. Friendship, that's what we're talking about. Growing up means that you're supposed to leave childish behaviour behind. I think I've largely succeeded, and if you disagree, I just won't play with you anymore. So there. Seriously, I think I've developed a modicum of maturity. If I'm offered food that isn't to my liking, I no longer decorate someone's head with it, which does make for a much better experience in restaurants. And I no longer scream a deafening wail in the key of G when I'm upset. That would be very silly. The key of C is so much better. But there's one childhood habit that I've never been able to grow out of, and it's about time. It is about time, literally. Sometimes I'd like to suspend time, extend the life of that spectacular sunset, stretch that laugh-out-loud evening with friends so that it lasts a week, so I could lob another dozen logs on the fireplace, sip another glass of wine, and savour the laughter and the smiles again and again. It's always been that way with me. As a child, I would go to the fun fair, luxuriate in the colliding smells of fried onions and candy floss, and then hop on one of those garishly painted merry-go-rounds. You know, the ones with the slightly off-tune organ and the clashing cymbals. But as soon as the ride edged slowly into motion, and I'd wave goodbye to Mum for the 20 seconds it took to go around once, I'd edge into worry. How much time had I got left to enjoy this experience? Would that scowling chap with the ponytails and the bad tattoos who was controlling the ride give me my full quota of time to enjoy being astride the wooden horse with impossibly large teeth? As soon as I began the experience, I whittled away about it coming to an end all too soon. The merry on my merry-go-round was spoiled because I was preoccupied with fear that it would go around too quickly. I really enjoyed the movie About Time. Featuring the stunning Bill Nye, it told the story of a family in which any man could pop into a small dark space such as a wardrobe, clench their fists and pop back to a previous moment in their lifetime and enjoy it all over again. I loved the film because I have no aspirations for a back to the future trip back into Henry VIII's court. I'd probably end up chatting with Anne Boleyn, which would be mistaken for flirtation by His Royal Highness, leading to a very radical haircut starting at my neck. But I'd love to just revisit and relive moments of my own personal history, the joyful bits. And I've also been guilty of taking the same attitude towards some of the nicer times in my more recent life, Blessed with a lovely holiday, I spent much of it wondering, A, how many days of bliss had we left, and B, was this my last experience of this place? My joy was tainted because I fretted endlessly about it ending. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't look ahead, plan, prepare, and even dream, but there comes a point when planning for the future becomes preoccupation with the future, or when nostalgia for what was ruins our capacity to celebrate what is. 
Paul Tournier famously said that most people spend their whole lives indefinitely preparing to live. I don't want to daydream through my days mentally elsewhere. I want to be fully present and in the moment now. So what's all of this talk about time got to do with friendship? Well, go into any restaurant and you're likely to find a table full of people who are there in body but elsewhere in soul. Fixated with devices, instead of being present with their friends, they are tweeting or Facebooking someone else somewhere else. And here's the reminder of what we all know about social networking. Unless we're extremely selective, those hundreds or thousands of friends on Facebook are not our friends. They won't be snacking on the sausage rolls at the bash that follows our funeral. But if you half listen to the people that you're with while concentrating on the souls that you'll never meet, your actual friendships will go offline at high speed. Don't miss out on engaging with interesting, colourful, needy, inspiring people in favour of the faceless, apart from a dodgy profile photo, on Facebook. Life was meant to be about conversation, not news flashes. Twitter is most often about declaration rather than conversation, but life was never meant to be a series of pithy pronouncements made in 140 characters or less. Don't issue a press release. Have a real chat instead. Jesus was a popular party guest, and not just because he was rather good with wine. Whether it was lunch with Danny DeVito up in a tree, that's Zacchaeus, fussing over children, clamouring for a cuddle of blessing, or chatting with a well-sighed wanton woman in the sweltering heat of noon, he was there, asking questions, listening, noticing. That's what true friendship is about. Those who tried to hustle Jesus away from these vital encounters received a swift telling off. And the whole incarnation story says this, God saw, he came, and he stayed by his spirit. And now in a way that I honestly can't fathom, we're assured of his full attention. Here's some very poor advice when it comes to intimacy, friendship, relationships. Love the one you're with. That's a recipe for divorce, heartache, and some rather itchy diseases. But it's a really good mantra for friendship. When with those that we value, let's ignore those who are demanding our attention via pesky social media. Love the ones you're with, and especially when life is good, love the moment that you're in. Because in a moment, it will be gone. See you next time. Lucas on Life.